0: It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Coming up, we're going to talk about when you go to fill a prescription, something you got to know that can save you big bucks. And later, appliances in your home What kind of lifespan should you expect of them? I'm going to fill you in. You know, today is the 17th anniversary of the September 11th terrorist attacks. And it is something that I have made special pains with my two younger children, one of whom was only two years old at the time of the terrorist attacks and my child who was not even born yet to make sure that they understand the significance of today. I know a lot of parents like to shield their kids from uh, horrific events, bad events. I think it's very important that people understand the risks we face as humans from those who wish us harm. And the role that we have as Americans to do what we can to make this country safe and keep it strong. And so I talk about it with my kids. And all these years later, I still reflect back on the incredible bravery of people who were first responders in New York City who went into the Twin Towers knowing that they were likely sealing their doom by going into those buildings. And that's a level of courage that none of us know if we'd ever have it when push comes to shove. And those brave souls on that plane in Pennsylvania likely headed to run into the Capitol, be flown into the Capitol by the evil terrorists and those passengers fought back and lost their lives but saved who knows how many other lives by their bravery. So I know it's a long time for many people in the rearview mirror, but I think it's so important that we remember what this day was about and what it means and why we as a country have to remain united and strong. I, I am distressed by the divisions we have in our country now, particularly the tribal divisions between people who are into politics, that we seem to have forgotten that our fellow Americans are not enemies. They may be people we disagree with, but they are not our enemies. We also have lost something of late, and that is that no human being is perfect And no human being is all-powerful or all-knowledgeable. We all have things we can learn from each other. We as America do the best moving forward when we're united. Instead of divided, distrusting each other, dehumanizing each other, we defeated the enemy from that day in 01. At great cost to treasure and lives lost, but Al Qaeda is at this point not a footnote, but a tiny pipsqueak compared to what it was at that time, and that's because of determination and patience in taking on an elusive enemy, but societies don't decline from without, they decline from within, And we, as a nation, need to get back to what really gives us mojo, and that is a shared sense of purpose about what America is about and who we are as a people. I know it's tough from that to go to questions, but that is what we do here, and Michael, you are up right now, and Michael, you just graduated college, so mm-hmm. how old were you on September 11th, 01? Oh my
1: gosh, I think I was uh, maybe 14 at the time.
0: Okay, so you finished college later than, uh, than core years. Mm-hmm, that's correct, yes. And so 14, my oldest at the time was, um, she was 12. And it really affected her. What do you remember of that day when you were a young teenager?
1: Um, I remember I was in language arts, actually, and um, the uh, teacher was putting in a videotape. Um, We were going to watch something about like, you know, Conjunction Junction or something. I I don't remember, some language arts thing. And then when she was turning the television on, um, the channel that was on was, uh, I believe it was CNN, and uh, we all just watched as, you know, whatever was happening was happening. And, um, you know, and, and I remember, I, I think that day, um, you know, when I got home from school, my parents were uh, already home and we were all just glued to the television. It was just a huge shock to, to everyone. Uh,
0: did, you, um, did you sense fear from your parents that day, anger? What, what do you recall through your young teenage eyes at that point?
1: Um, I think, uh, I remember my dad was, um, was, was shocked. Um, he, I think he was trying to, uh, kind of ground the family emotionally, but I can tell he, he was a little, um, you know, um, you know, shocked at the events that had transpired. So, um, and I remember just watching the television like that whole day as a family and just to see, you know, what was going on. So it was, um. There was some palpable (laughs) tension in the air i guess that day
0: and so here we are all these years later and we as a nation remain strong and at that time people feared that we weren't up to the challenge and thank goodness we were Mm -hmm. well michael let's turn the page what is it you called me about let's see how i can be of service to you okay well
1: i just you know i recently graduated Um, and I got my first real job that I think is going to branch off into a career. Um, you know, I don't have any student loans, I don't have any debt, I don't have any car payments or anything like that. And I was wondering, um, you know, I start work in about two weeks. Um, so I thought I would just call and get some advice about, um, you know, how I should be managing my first few paychecks. How I would go apply uh, apply for credit with no credit history, of course, and what you think? Just any general pointers that you can give me to, to save me
0: um, some stress and some headache in the years going forward. Right. You got a you got a lot on your plate, don't you? Mm-hmm. All right, so let's take each part, uh, and I'll have to give summaries because we don't have enough time to go through every aspect of what you asked me. But first thing, when you go for um, new employee orientation or you meet with the HR people or whatever it is depending on the size of the company uh, how big a company is it I would say it's pretty large so if it's, it's a large, large organization you will be offered uh, likely a 401k plan and mm,
1: yeah and I, and I looked and it said they have uh, up to six percent matching
0: yeah so that that you gotta do you gotta Put in so you pick up every dollar of match from your employer. And if you've been used to living on very little money and you're suddenly going to have a nice check coming in every couple of weeks, I want you to go all in on it and do save 10% of your pay from the first paycheck and pick up all the employer match that 6% on top. Because uh, if you're able to save what would be uh, effectively 16 percent of your pay that's going to be very valuable to you starting to save in your 30s right Mm -hmm. yeah so you've got to make up for last decade and that's why i'd like you to start from the very beginning where the check you're used to is one where already 10 percent of your pay has been taken away Mm -hmm. and if your employer offers the roth option for the 401k that's what I want you to do, not what's known as the traditional. Okay. So I ask for that. On the credit card. So when you get to the employer, when you're at orientation, they if they're a large employer, they will have a credit union that either they have as their credit union or one that their employees can join. Mm-hmm. And I'd like you to join that credit union. And it'd be great if that's where you did your banking moving forward, but the credit union's really important because most of them offer a starter credit card for someone who's not had credit, or offer a program where you can get your first Visa or MasterCard. Mm. And So banks don't do it, but credit unions do, and that's why the credit union's such an important part for you starting out. Okay. Now, uh, are you having a goal of owning your own home at some point? Yes, yes. How soon would you like to do that? Um, I would say within the next eight to ten years. Okay. Well, that, I mean, obviously you could trend line into that if you're looking a decade out. So what I would do is estimate, based on where you live, kind of what kind of price point home you would be looking at buying. Mm-hmm. And then figure out what 10% of that would be. And I want you to divide out, let's say we could say, uh, you said eight or 10 years. So let's just say 100 months. How much money would you have to save each month for 100 months to get to where you've saved 10% of the amount of money the house would cost you? And every month, I want you to put in the savings account and have it, it can be you know a split deposit with your paycheck where part of it goes into your checking account, the rest goes into the savings account that you're building up for the mm-hmm. down payment on your first home.
1: And I should start saving for uh, putting, putting the money for that house over time after I create an emergency account and a rainy day fund?
0: Great question. I, you know, you can overthink this. The goal mm-hmm. at first is you want to be popping that money aside. And be in the habit of putting that money aside. And, and occasionally you will have a rainy day, but you don't sound like the kind of person who's going to put yourself deep into debt or anything like that. I mm-hmm. mean, if you wanted to, you could, um, since you seem to be of a mind of really being about this, do the 10% in the 401k, figure out how much you got to put each month in there to meet the goal in 100 months to be able to do the down payment on a home and then have another some maybe 1% of your pay that goes every pay, pay paycheck into a rainy day savings account.
1: Okay. And, and the last question is, you mentioned the Roth IRA. Should I be uh, putting money both in a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA?
0: Or no, no, I'm talking about Roth. 401k. So there's Roth IRAs, there's traditional IRAs, and then at employers, now uh, majority of employers offer you in the 401k an option of a traditional 401k and a Roth 401k. Mm. The Roth 401k, the money's been taxed, so it all grows tax-free and you spend it tax-free down the road. And so if your employer doesn't offer a Roth 401k option and they only offer a traditional, uh, this is adding another layer of complexity, but what I would do is I would put money into the employer plan to pick up the entire match, the six full 6%, whatever you have to do to get that, mm-hmm. and then if there's more money you'd have to save to get to 10% of your pay, that money goes in your own Roth IRA. And that would be how I would do that. I, I didn't want to get too complicated with you, but I'm impressed with how you've thought this st- stuff through and the questions you're asking, and I can tell you're going to do really well with how you handle your finances moving forward. Today's Clark Moment is a key warning for you, and it's a problem in so many places around the country, what are known as gag rules on pharmacists. When a pharmacist is not allowed to tell you that you should not file your prescription under your prescription plan, you may have through a place of work or through health insurance if it has prescription coverage, but rather pay cash. You're not going to believe this, but do you know that roughly one in four prescriptions, it's cheaper for you just to be a cash payer than to do it through the benefit you have? I have a prescription that's a regular maintenance med, and I fill it on my own. I don't involve insurance because I actually pay less for it by a substantial amount just paying cash than paying under the pharmacy benefits plan that I have available. But I just know to ask and most people don't know and these gag rules that keep the pharmacist from saying, hey, hey, I got a secret for you, do you know? that you'll save a lot of money if you don't use insurance? So the thing is, when you have a pharmacy benefits plan, they make a lot of money charging a higher price than the actual real price for the medicine, and the co that you have to pay then, your share is far, far higher than it would have been if they were never involved. So just remember this rule, anytime you're filling a prescription, especially for anything that's a generic, ask if, you're, if the pharmacist says, uh, do you have insurance, say, well, I don't know if I want to use it this time, could you let me know if the price is, which way it's cheaper, or before you go to the pharmacist, go to goodrx.com, put in the medicine, see what the price is at various places, and you'll be able to see is it cheaper for you to uh, buy it as a cash payer rather than through any kind of pharmacy benefit available to you. It's my pleasure to have you with us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make. You also have available to you as part of our show access to free off-the-air advice. It's available to you more than 40 hours each week. You can talk with a member of our team and get guidance so that you can avoid getting ripped off or just get a question answered or know how to deal with a problem that you have. If you go to Clark.com, scroll down a little, you'll see the number and hours to call Team Clark for off-the-air guidance. So. I get a lot of questions about a pretty dullsville area. I mean, let's face it, it's dull. Your refrigerator, your dishwasher, your washer and dryer, and it's an area people don't say, yippee, I'm going to go get a new washing machine today. But it's something you got to do from time to time. And if you go to the appliance store or wherever you go to buy appliances, they're going to be pitching you and pitching hard on you buying an extended service contract on that appliance. And they will refer to, to all kinds of things that could go terribly wrong and how much money it costs to fix this or that or the other, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so facts are facts. And the appliance business... Almost nobody's making any money anymore on the appliances themselves. The money is made on selling the service contract to you. And it's one of those things where people who don't buy them are being subsidized by the people who do. Because the people who don't buy them aren't wasting the money on the service contract and they're getting the appliance at a really ridiculously low price because of all the comparison shopping people are doing online. So, all the money's made on that hard sell on the service contract. Should you buy one? No. So, the typical appliance will last 10, 12, 14 years right in there. You may get unlucky. We did recently. We had a washer that croaked after seven years. We replaced it. New washer cost $503. You could say that, think how much better I would have been if I would have spent money all through the years on a service contract on it. But we've had no other appliance break. Often... We make a decision on something like this because the fact that when we had something break we think wow that repair was so much on that dishwasher and we don't think about the other appliances that have worked year after year after year after year trouble free all we think about is the one time we had to write the check or hand over our credit card to pay for the repair visit So get a decade out of one or so you've gotten the life out of it we didn't I guess we're dirty people and wash too many clothes but anyway we came up three years short let's say from the typical minimum but that was just a hazard of it and we had to spend the 503 so I know that that peace of mind that they pitch sounds so good sounds much better to me for you to keep the money in your pocket. Carl is with us on the Clark Howard show. Hello, Carl. Hi, Clark. Thanks so much for taking my call. Absolutely. Carl, you want to join the Tesla club, huh? Well,
2: well I'm thinking of it. So um, I uh, have a re- reservation to buy the new uh, Tesla Model 3, uh, but I have a few concerns. And so I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to move forward with that purchase so i was hoping you might be able to help me out
0: all right hit me with it because i have um i know it seems so out of character for me but my wife and i both drive teslas
2: well and and i know that you do and that's it's a little out of character for me to buy an expensive car too and that i've never spent more than ten thousand dollars on a car so this is a this would be a big leap and uh, and, and there's I'm something about, about
0: tesla's that when you look at the profile of Tesla buyers, overwhelmingly, they're people who have never bought an expensive car.
2: Right, right. So uh, so my biggest concern is that I know Tesla have been in business for 10 years and they've never been profitable and their profitability is really kind of hinging on the success of the Model 3. And so my my main concern is that you know, I dropped fifty thousand dollars on this car, and then um, and then they don't succeed, and they go out of business, and then I have a car that I'm, um, you know, how do I get parts and service for it, or or you know, what's the resale value of it? And so that's right. Really kind uh, you of my buy what concern. I'll tell
0: you, and it's a very reasonable concern with all the uh, bizarre behavior by Elon Musk recently. Right. And so right. Elon Musk, I've always said. If you've ever heard me talk about him, I've always said he's brilliant but crazy. He still is Mm -hmm. brilliant. Now it's obvious he is crazy. But you'd have to be crazy to have the guts to do all the things he's done, like uh, come up with a whole new way of launching into space that is um, so much cheaper than the way we've been doing it in the United States. And then he developed this incredible battery backup system for utility companies that's making... In places, people uh, utilities have bought it. Makes the power grid much more reliable. And he's got the solar and the cars. I mean, the guy, the guy is absolutely a genius. But he is, um, well, off his rocker a lot, <laughs> right? So, um, is Tesla going to survive? I don't know, but I would say. The odds are very good because of all the groundbreaking technology they've developed. Is it going to remain an independent company uh, with Elon Musk in control? I don't know. I'd say that that's the more likely scenario is that Elon Musk's role is reduced or the company is purchased and obviously his role would be reduced and the cycle of innovation being so fast would slow down. They'd become like a real business,
2: right? So, so that eases my concerns a little bit. In that, in that, it sounds like you know probably even if if something happened with them that they're probably still going to be a company that i'm still going to be able to get parts and service for most likely
0: i could be wrong on that though i mean i got to tell you i could be wrong it's it's how i read the situation because Mm -hmm. they're not doing something that everybody else is doing because of the um the unusual nature of, of the things they do and the value of them moving forward that's why i think they're a juicy target for someone to buy you know in the financial press there's been several stories recently the rumors that Apple is going to buy the Tesla operation and who knows you know because Apple's been working hard trying to come up with their own autonomous uh, car an Apple car apparently is like the worst kept secret in Silicon Valley so who knows but I'd say the odds favor that they continue. But I wanted to make one suggestion to you I've made to other prospective Tesla buyers. The best yes. deal in the Tesla marketplace are used Model S's.
2: Well, and I've thought about that, but I do really, uh, the, 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 one of the most exciting things about the Model 3 to me is the autonomous driving, which I know the Model 3 is, is going to be a little ahead of, of maybe a two- or three-year-old uh, Model S in that regard.
0: That is true, and um, I've been uh, testing. They they gave a two week free trial to people to try to get them to pay the money to to do the self drive on the Model Three, and mm-hmm. it works extremely well. So it yeah, well, is that's good to hear. It is uh, kind of eerie for anybody who's riding with me when they experience the car driving itself, and at first they completely. Are spazzed by it, and then they get to where they don't even notice it, other than the car drives a lot better than I can drive a car. Patricia's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Patricia. Hi, how are you today? Great, thank you, Patricia. How can I be of service to you?
3: I have a question. We were thinking about doing Airbnb for one of our rental properties. And I know that they have insurance, their own insurance. But as a landlord, I know on our policy that we have through our insurance companies, if we rent short term, we are not covered. Right. So my question is, what insurance company out there would be sufficient for a short term
0: Right, that All right. is a great question. This has been an area that the insurance industry has been slow to adopt to, but I've seen in the last year that more and more homeowners insurance companies uh, have now a, a rider you can add to a property insurance policy that will cover short-term rentals. Now, the coverage that Airbnb gives is a limited coverage they tout that it gives you a million dollars coverage for bodily injury or property damage but it doesn't deal with um, all all the issues that could occur as an example damage to your property so let's say you have a renter who beats the daylights out of your property They're not going to cover that, as I understand it, under Airbnb's policy. Right. So that would be where, with have you talked to your own uh, company that insures your rental properties to see if they offer a rider for short term?
3: No, yeah, I have talked to them and they do not offer. They won't
0: even deal with the uh, short term. All right, then I'm going to make a suggestion to you, and that is, how many rental properties do you have?
3: I actually have
0: four. All right. With four rental properties, this is probably overdue anyway. I would like for you to talk with a business lines broker. Okay. You know, there are people who do business lines insurance, and uh-huh. and talking to one of those people who's probably already dealt with this question and knows who are the insurers that seem to be doing the best job at handling... The short term rentals people are doing on Airbnb or VRBO would be a good idea. And if you're on any, if you're a member of any local landlord group or anything like that, there are other people who've already dealt with this who could probably give you a tip of what broker they use, where they go. Or you could look, if you're not a member of anything like that, look to see if there is a local um, landlord group and because there are, there are these around the country if you're in any kind of mid-size or large city you probably have some kind of landlord organization and you can probably get referral from them to someone they may even see it on their website um, ads for people that do insurance brokering
3: do you have any suggestions of any names out there
0: No, not of an no, because that's a local thing. You've got to find somebody local to you, and you're right now using tradition traditional homeowners insurer to insure these four properties. It's a landlord policy. It is a landlord policy. It's a landlord policy, and they don't have an option for short term rentals. No, because this is it's long term.
3: Huh. All right. Uh, Apparently, they were saying after thirty days. It's considered long-term and there's less liability, I guess, if you have a long-term rental versus a short-term rental.
0: You know, that goes to the whole thing of actuaries that have trouble calculating risk on newer activities like VRBO or Airbnb, but short-term rentals are here to stay in the marketplace. And so right. I, I think you need to do just a little bit of digging and find somebody who is knowledgeable in this area as a business lines broker, and you'll be able to find one that'll cover both short and long term. Tim is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Tim. How you doing?
2: Good, Clark. How are you?
0: Good. Sometimes letters that come in the mail aren't so friendly, are they? Uh, no, they're not. <laughs> what happened? Well...
2: My wife and I, we own a small catering business. We're a little mom and pop organization. And eight years ago, well, probably 10 years ago, we created a website. And a couple years later, we revamped the website. And we had uh, a friend of mine who's an IT guy create the website and everything. And uh, we pulled some pictures from public domain to post on the website, just as fluff pictures and things like that. And recently we received a letter from a stock food company that uses that pictures with a rights infringement letter stating that we've been using one clip for the last eight years and they want $1,400.
0: Yeah, these letters are going all over the country right now. There are law firms that are known as trolls that are, they send out these things in bulk, and they try to scare people,
1: the reality is
0: with the way pictures move around on the internet there are pictures that people have used without proper legal use rights and don't even realize it. uh And I'm sure that the guy who was helping you out doing the site, it was just a mistake on his part and the demand is just, they just come up with these wild figures out of the air. Yeah. If you go on the internet, there are lots of, uh, of suggestions, even sample letters of what you should send back to the firm and tell them, uh, you know, apologize to them, blah, blah, blah. You didn't know you were using, it was inadvertent and all that. And, and there are sites you can check that sell stock photos and mm-hmm. what they're allowed to seek is only what the fair market value is for a picture. Okay. And so the $1,400, that's just a number they pulled out of thin air trying to get you to pay a ridiculous sum of money for a stock photo. So don't worry, be happy, but don't ignore it either, okay? (laughs) All right. Appreciate it, Clark. Thank you. Best to you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks so much for listening today. You know, there's a giant team behind bringing you everything we do at team clark our podcast and radio show are produced by kim Drobes, joel larsgaard deborah reese and jim ayers my tv producer is leah dunn clark.com is made possible thanks to krista dibiaz james degal john crest theo timu michael timmerman craig johnson beth marcinko clara Bosnetto, john jones and grace del rio clarkdeals.com where you can find the best deals from around the web Is produced by Karis Brown, Laura Sayers, Sarah Jordan, and Demond Marley. You can sign up for our newsletters at Clark.com thanks to Sally McDonald and our social media gurus are Chelsea Glass and Nicole Carroll. Our Off-Air Advice Center is run by Lori Silverman, Sarah Mobley, and Sue Gatliff, and their team's available to serve you over 40 hours each week at 404-892-8227. And this is a free service of Team Clark. Thanks for listening till next time.